so there's, you know, there's one trend kind of making it easier, but what, what seemed to emerge from the conversations I was having with organizations is we have a chicken and an egg problem. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I am pleased to interview Anthony DeMonico from BMG Health. Uh, Anthony and I presented at a recent conference, and the purpose of this episode is to talk about the takeaways from that conference, not only from a compliance perspective, but also from a legal and a fair market value and commercial reasonableness perspective. So I want to introduce uh, Anthony, and Anthony will describe what he does and also what BMG Health does. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Happy to be here. Um, so as Bob said, my name is Anthony DeMonico. I'm a director at VMG Health, um, really with kind of toes in two worlds, right? Half of my practice focuses on valuation, right? Fair market value, commercial reasonableness work in the compensation space. And then the other half really focuses on strategy, physician compensation design, medical group operations, value-based care, care model work, right? So really kind of all around this move from volume to value in the healthcare space, particularly as it relates to the physician enterprise, right? So VMG Health, um, we've been around for about 26 years, right? A little over 26 years now. Um, we do business valuation work, physician compensation valuation work, and then we were really growing in the strategy and compliance space and, and kind of, you know, adding services like operational consulting, coding compliance to really round out the, the level of service that we can provide to our clients. Yeah. And like myself, you have a national practice. So you represent hospitals, physicians, other ancillary providers around the country, right? Correct. Yeah. We work with all sorts of health systems from individual physician-owned practices, equity-backed organizations, but largely in the in the hospital and health system space. Sounds good. Well, as I indicated at the beginning, uh, Anthony and I just presented at a conference. And so if you're not listening to this current, uh, this was a conference that was held in May of 2022. It was in a conference by the American Association of Provider Compensation Professionals, AAPCP. Again, the American Association of Provider Compensation Professionals. And this was the very first national conference that this brand new association uh, actually conducted. It was conducted in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it was very well attended for the first conference for an association. 
And as I indicated when I spoke, I said uh, I was amongst family. That there's, if you are a geek like Anthony and me that talk about this type of stuff, the fair market value and commercial reasonableness stuff, uh, you had a bunch of us together in one room talking about these issues. And there were breakout sessions. What was also unique about this conference is there were a lot of polling that went up, went along. So that way we could tell from the audience, from the attendees, just generally what was happening from the attendees organization's perspective. And Anthony actually led one of the breakout groups that uh, reported back and as well as you know, was a, a featured presenter. So I guess what I want to first have you talk about, Anthony, is about the uh, WRVUs. And I know that there's been, and I've talked on this podcast before, about the 2021 CMS values that they modified the values of beginning of January 1 of 2021. And some organizations migrated to the 2021 values and some didn't. And there was a lot of buzz at this conference about that. So can you talk generally about what your takeaways were from the conference as well as your thinking about the work RVU values? Yeah, I mean, I want to start by saying it is, I mean, it is kind of odd, right? That here we are in the middle of 2022 talking about a change that happened almost 18 months ago, right? But I mean, I think that talks to just the, the significance of the change, right? And, you know, personally, I've worked with organizations all across the spectrum of implementation, some that, uh, you know, didn't know anything had changed and just kind of went about their business and implemented um, without thinking about it to others that have said, you know, we're not going to implement until 2023 or 2024, right? And, you know, thinking about the folks at the conference, I mean, their experience largely reflected that, right? There were some organizations that meaningfully changed to the 21 fee schedule either in 2021 or have implemented in 2022. Um, there are others that during that polling session that you referenced, I mean, many of them were saying, you know, we're going to wait. Right. We really need to figure out what's happening. One of the big issues that physician compensation professionals face is we always use survey data. It's always old. Right. So, I mean, I, I checked this morning because today is the day we expect one of the main surveys is going to release the information that finally reflects the 21 T schedule so that organizations can really start to make those decisions about how they want to strategically implement either later this year or next year, right? So, I mean, I think the, the key takeaway here is that we're, we're kind of in this muddy area, right? Some organizations have implemented, some haven't, some are still setting strategy. And unfortunately, the, it's, it's been kind of murky to set compensation in 2022, right? And that's this delayed implementation and not necessarily having all the information needed to make a meaningful, kind of thoughtful implementation strategy is it means that organizations are going to take a while to kind of figure this out. Yeah. And some attendees uh, did indicate that they held, they migrated to the 2021 values. It's not illegal to do so, but there's really a fair market value issue that comes into play about trying to analyze the compensation through the migration. Because I know from my experience, yeah. you know, some of the specialties could have a 20% increase in compensation if you if you held tight to the 2021 values with zero increase in in work effort. Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I mean, I'm working with with several organizations today that, again, made that implementation without really thinking about it and now have to, you know, walk it back because of some of those compliance issues. Now, it, you're right, to your point, right? 
implementing does not necessarily mean you have a compliance problem, right? I mean, there are many organizations that don't pay to the top of market that maybe have the room to absorb that 20% increase that you're talking about and still be compliant. Reasonableness might be a, a challenge there, but could still have a fair market value compliant program. But most organizations, again, facing a 20% increase in compensation for some specialties, I mean, just that fact is enough to to move them outside of fair market value because you, you know it's it's for the same work effort as someone has done in the past. And is it reasonable to provide a 20% increase in compensation? And I think to your point, I have one client that they were compensating the positions at the 40th percentile comp per work RVU, the conversion factor, and they migrated the 2021 values. When you took a look at the compensation, it was still fair market value. But conversely, to your point, is if somebody was compensating the positions at the 60th or even the 65th percentile comp per work RVU, and you migrated to the 2021 values, that could be problematic. There's quite a buzz at the conference regarding the migration of compensation from productivity to value. So from volume to value. What were your takeaways from the conference with respect to this migration? Yeah. So, you know, I had the, and this was related to the session that I led, uh, the breakout session that I led at the conference as well was about kind of value based metrics, right? And, you know, from talking to those organizations that attended the breakout session, as well as, you know, just having conversations with organizations that were attending the conference, there's quite a mixture of organizations and where they're at kind of on the volume to value journey, right? I mean, many organizations that I spoke with, they're just thinking about making them, right? Their, their compensation is 100% based on RVUs. And, and that's kind of the path they've taken. And they're starting to think about how do we want to implement quality and other value-based metrics into the compensation model. There are many other organizations that had 15, 20, 30% of a provider's compensation at risk for, for quality and other value-based metrics, right? And you know, the challenge here is, you know, right, we're we're in this, we're in this shift, right? Where we're at in the shift is is debatable, right? I, I've been doing this work for 15 years, right? I started on the health system side and probably day one or day two of starting at that organization, we're going to move from volume to value. Here we are 15 years later, and we've maybe moved the needle a little bit. <laughs> right? yeah, we're still we're very slow. <laughs> so there's a couple of things impacting this move, right? One, you could probably speak to much more eloquently than I can, right? I mean, arguably, the changes in January 2021 to the federal fraud and abuse regulations made it you know, again, arguably easier for organizations to kind of operate in this space. So there's, you know, there's one trend kind of making it easier. But what, what seemed to emerge from the conversations I was having with organizations is we have a chicken and an egg problem. A lot of the, you know, there was an article recently in the Journal for the American Medical Association that, you know, basically was saying, you know, most, despite this move from volume to value, most organizations still pay their physicians on volume. Well, why is that? Well, when I asked the question in my breakout session, well, how much of your revenue is tied up in value versus volume? It's 95, 99 plus percent of an organization's revenue is driven through volume, right? So if you want to, you know, move the needle on quality, where does that change need to happen? I mean, really, it needs to be both. So the payers need to be driving that change as well. Because if an organization has the fact pattern that their revenue is tied up in how many widgets they produce, or I like the analogy of how many shirts were made you know, by the, the sweatshop workers, aka the physicians, 
then that's what they're going to incentivize because that's how they keep the doors open. I guess the key takeaway is moving from volume to value is incredibly challenging, even though there are some trends that are trying to make it easier for organizations to do it. And and I think the piece I missed here is we could probably talk all day about these challenges, right? But one of the other pieces that organizations struggle with is when you think about the survey, right? The typical surveys that report physician compensation and productivity, they've gotten, you know, there's challenges in the last couple of years, right? They've gotten good at reporting compensation and productivity, but there's no way to tie to look at it and say, well, what's a reasonable quality? Maybe we could talk about scale, right? Maybe it's five and 10% of comp, but what's comprised in this quality or value section? What are organizations doing from a metric perspective? What do the benchmarks look like? There's so many factors that make it incredibly challenging that organizations really need to be better at doing data and other things in order to really successfully make this change. Yeah, and I think that Anthony pointed out that through one of the surveys at this conference, it's somewhere between 10 and 30% is where we're seeing the emphasis on quality and, and value indicators. And what Anthony was re- referring to from a legal perspective are the value-based arrangements through a value-based enterprise. And there's an episode on Sark Integrity dealing specifically with that. But uh, I'm getting a lot of calls from my clients on that issue about how, especially with W-2 employees, can you stack these value-based arrangements on top of the W-2 compensation, which can be cautious about that, but the value-based arrangements do not have a fair market value qualifier or component to either the the exception under the Stark Law or the safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute. So how do your clients or how do you work with your clients on developing the specific indicators? So what are kind of the the tools that uh, your clients use when they develop these indicators? Yeah. So when it comes to developing those, the metrics that they use to measure physician performance, I mean, what we typically recommend is that an organization start with their payer contracts, right? I mean, it, it logically follows that, you know, if even if it's a small amount of compensation or reimbursement that's at risk from the payers, that one to five percent that we just kind of talked about. If the payers are reimbursing based on your your shared savings programs are based on diabetes management and, and certain other metrics, largely in the primary care space, you're going to use those metrics in your compensation plan. Yeah, I mean, you better use those compensation metrics in your compensation plan because otherwise you have a misalignment of incentives. What we typically provide guidance to clients is let's let's investigate those payer contracts and really understand how do we drive revenue into the system that can fund some of these value-based activities. Now, there's a lot out there for primary care and maybe yeah, cardiology, orthopedics, certain subspecialty areas. But when you consider that most organizations employ, especially the larger organizations, employ you know, 70, 80 different subspecialty areas or more, it gets really hard to do that in the context of you know, some of those subspecialties where there might not be good metrics. One of the things that we do is work with organizations to really say, well, that doesn't work, right? I mean, we really need to think strategically about child and adolescent psychiatry, right? What are some of those metrics? Fortunately, Medicare has done a lot of this work through its MIPS program, right? I mean, there's hundreds of metrics that have been kind of vetted, thought through by both experts for CMS, as well as some of the medical associations, right, for the physician groups, that we can provide some guidance to clients to say, for these particular subspecialty areas, yeah, maybe not great indicators of outcomes-based metrics, and we're not going to have that for all specialties, right? But here's what you can start to think about as you 
move towards some of those value-based activities. And most importantly, you can't do this in a vacuum. My guidance to clients is always that is in the specialty that is leading these initiatives, right? Because they're, I'm not a clinician. I don't know anything about the practice of medicine, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe a little. And maybe you've been told that once or twice, right? Maybe I've been told that <laughs> once or twice. Having physician engagement and guidance in those metrics, I mean, can really help with some, you know, with some parameters that we help them kind of narrow down the list, can really start to help organizations set up that becoming a value-based enterprise, even if even if it doesn't translate to compensation over the first couple of years, just building that foundation for we're going to be a quality organization and we're going to focus on providing good outcomes for our patients. You know, how do we start to think about measuring those and what the metrics even are? And I think from a fair market value perspective, you probably do the same that I do. Is that you take a look at the probability of accomplishing those quality indicators, and then you fold that into the total cash compensation. What's interesting, a few years ago, I reviewed one compensation. To your point, it was a primary care model, but it was 100% based upon quality and value, 0% on volume. And I kept getting hammered over the head by the client. You, know, you can't put this in a work RVUs. But if you would sit back and if they would accomplish every single indicator in this compensation model, they would actually earn 300% of the 90th percentile. So that would be way outside of fair market value. So what we ended up doing is we put into the probability of accomplishing each of these indicators. And we got down to the point that we felt that the indicators would be about 30% accomplished. And if they accomplished the them at 30%, it was going to be somewhere between the 50th and the 75th percentile in total cash. And so you can put these great indicators in, but then there has to come a probability analysis as to if you have to adhere to the fair market value requirements. That's the reason why I think this movement to these value-based enterprises uh, would be beneficial. Well, the last point I want to talk to uh, you, Anthony, about was just approval process. I know that I spoke with one of the individuals from Halifax Health on the having a formalized approval process. And I think that there was a lot of discussion about, uh, do you review every single contract or just some of the contracts and things like that? So what were some of your takeaways from the conference regarding a formal approval process of provider compensation? Yeah, so I think, you know, this is an area where some groups like Halifax, you know, the case study that you provided, I mean, they have a really good process. They've engaged outside experts. You sit on their, I, I can't name the committee. Yeah, right? Physician, <laughs> Physician Arrangement <laughs> Review Committee, the PARC Committee. Yep. Right. So you sit on the PARC Committee and kind of help provide strategic guidance to that group to say, you kind of give them that sandbox to operate it in and make sure that they continue to operate in that sandbox. And that when they want to go outside, they've strategically thought about it. And then they've had that conversation with all sorts of individuals and stakeholders at the organization so that it's not one renegade hospital president kind of going out and doing whatever they want to. Unfortunately, I think there are many organizations out there that have the renegade hospital presidents that are out there doing whatever they want to. Right. Yeah, so, from, from a legal perspective, those are great clients. <laughs> they are great clients. Um, from our perspective, too, right? I mean, we do work in the governance space, helping organizations set up processes, committee structures, policies for review, just like you're doing with Halifax. I think that's where a lot of work is happening right now is many organizations have figured out that they need to be better at this. They need to have a more robust, centralized kind of process where 
more eyes are on these arrangements. And a lot of these cases, you know, Halifax to me and others, you know, dentists, right? They've all kind of brought to light over the last, I mean, that's probably seven, eight years now, but over that period of time that we really need to be thinking about, really need to be buttoning up our compliance processes. And I don't know, I, I, I personally think it's best practice. I don't know that it's necessarily common practice, but I do think it's best practice to have whether it's whether it's Barnes and Thornburg or VMG or some external party, I mean, even sitting on those committees to kind of provide that guidance and provide that market expertise because it's really hard. I've been fortunate in my career that I've done about half of my career has been on the health system side working within that setting and then half in consulting. What I think that benefits me personally is I have that perspective that I mean, health systems often don't know what they don't know. There's maybe one or two people that we get physician compensation and all kind of the regulations uh, around it. You know, they don't even, even those individuals kind of have the knowledge of what their organization is doing and maybe not as much as what other organizations are doing. And having that outside party, whether it's, again, whether it's legal, valuation, um, someone who does physician compensation for a living can really help provide that expertise and help your organization think through that in a more broad kind of market-based way. Yeah, and I think it's more of an accountability process. When I when I walk into organizations where you have, as you indicated, the renegade CEO or president of the organization, I, I look at that individual and say, do you really want to shoulder all of this responsibility? And it's more when you have a team approach, then you get these different perspectives as you're talking about. Like, have you thought about this? Or are you being swayed by X, like the referrals or a dominant physician that you want to retain? So those type of issues really come into play. We've reached that point in the episode where I'm going to provide the Captain Integrity Punch Points. So I'm going to give the three Captain Integrity Punch Points and then let Anthony conclude either by enhancing on what I'm going to say or other issues from the conference. The three Captain Integrity Punch Points are, number one, the American Association of Provider Compensation Professionals. Although it's a new association. It's a great association for those who are interested in provider and physician compensation. Captain Integrity punch point number two is compensation compliance under the Stark Law and the anti-kickback statute covers both the amount of the compensation, so fair market value, as well as the structure of the compensation. There's a lot of discussion regarding the structure of compensation arrangements at the conference. And then Captain Integrity Punch Point number three is the 2021 WRBU values do have an impact on compensation, and that impact needs to be carefully analyzed to assess fair market value as to whether you're going to stay with the 2020 values or migrate to the 2021 values. So as Anthony indicated, it's not illegal uh, to migrate. You just have to be cautious about the fair market value impact. So in closing, Anthony, any final comments? Yeah. So again, just to echo Bob, your comments, the AAPCP is a wonderful organization that, I mean, I think will grow and really provide a lot of value to clients over the next several years. I know budgets are tight, but it's a, it's a very reasonable organization, right? So I mean, if you think that that piece is holding you back, I'd encourage you to at least explore it, right? Because it is, I mean, it's a tremendous value organization. And I think you'll, you'll get a lot of knowledge that you might not otherwise get kind of sitting in your, in your own organization. And then 
really the 2021 Medicare physician fee schedule is one thing. I, I wish this were as simple a time that we could say, yep, there's one thing we got to solve in healthcare if from a physician compensation perspective. And that's what you need to carefully consider. But really, there are there are a multitude of factors. Now, as we sit here in May of 2022, the impact of COVID on surveys with the 21 fee schedule, with you know, this continued move from volume to value, with, you know, there's potential changes. You know, we heard about maybe there's going to be some changes in 2022 or 2023 fee schedule for the inpatient EM. The key takeaway here is that organizations need to be much more diligent than maybe they've had to in the past to really make sure that you're managing a market competitive, compliant compensation program. So really focus on analytics, make sure that you are paying attention to this because this whole... I've written about this a couple of times, you know, the, the set it and forget it approach to compensation that many organizations have taken in the past isn't going to serve you well going forward. You have to, you have to be mindful. Exactly. And Anthony, would you mind providing your contact information for the listeners? Yep. So you can reach me. Again, I'm a director of BMG Health. My email address is Anthony, uh, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y dot Demonico, D-O-M-A-N-I-C-O at vmghealth.com. Or you can reach me by um, phone at 972-616-5861. Thank you so much, Anthony. And looking forward to continuing this conversation in the future. Yep. Thank you, Bob. Same here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.